That's good stuff. Good morning, Northern Hills. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm part of the teaching team. I'm our connections pastor here at the church as well. Um, I know Pastor Brian was already able to speak to this. We had 70 dudes here, 70 plus dudes here actually yesterday uh, doing some axe throwing, doing some cornhole tournaments, and it was just a great time of fellowship, getting to know some new faces, uh, matching some names with those faces and getting to know some stories, hanging out with the guys. Here's what's amazing to me about us men, though. We get together, and again, those competitive juices start coming up, and uh, we want to you know, get our get our challenges on, get our game on. And what was fun for me was to just watch how the cornhole tournament played out a little bit because the first round, everybody's just hanging out and they're just chill, having a good time. And then as round, as you, as you graduated to the second round or the third round, if your team continued to win, you found that these guys were getting that much more juiced up, that much more competitive. And so, and so they were actually, I saw, I saw two teams, they were doing paper, rock, scissors to see what like sets they would use, which bat they would throw because they wanted to be sure like this this specific set it's slick enough it's just the right uh, <laughs> right distance for me and they were getting all pumped up and what's interesting to me is that inevitably you can do all the right things you can have the right bean bags in your hands you can have the right cornhole set that you want and you still may lose you still may fail to advance to the next round the axe throwing it's a beautiful thing. If you've never tried axe throwing, you get a coach that guides you a little bit to be able to throw the axe that much better. They'll, they'll shape uh, where, your, where your throwing arm goes. They'll shape where your foot should stay. And still, even with all that coaching, even with all that, <laughs> that, that specialized individual coming alongside you, there were axes that were not hitting the target, okay? Like we would all fear for our lives with some of us dudes throwing these axes, okay? I'm just telling us, like, the, you, could, you could get all the coaching you wanted and still maybe miss the mark. You could still miss the bullseye. I love just being with the guys. I love seeing the juices flowing. I love seeing all the guys coming together and seeing if they could be the winner, the victor for the day. But what's interesting about this series, this Take the Lid Off series, is that we have been challenged as individuals to look at the barriers that end up blocking us from the greatness of God, what God has for our lives to take us to the more, to take us as individuals to the next level. And no matter how much coaching we, we have received over the past few weeks, no matter how much there's been imprinted on our hearts, many of us have taken those steps because we know, we know within all that is in us that God is ready to move mountains in our new year and to move mountains in, in our lives and do the next great thing. But some of us have taken off the lids, whether that lid be comfort, whether that lid be fear. Many of us were challenged even just last week to go all in with our chips, living a no-lids life. And what happens when you're not hitting the mark? What happens when it doesn't seem like your bullseye is coming? And you're just, you're, 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 you're struggling to understand because you have taken the lid off. You've removed that specific lid, that which, which, which was holding you back, and nothing seems to be happening. Nothing seems to be happening in your life. You're asking God all the hard questions. You're looking, you're ready to live that no-lived life, and you've removed it, but 
your faith is already in week one, week two of doing that beginning to waver because the results aren't quite what you've hoped for. And today, I want to hang out with some teenagers. I want to hang out with some teenagers in the scripture this morning because all of us, I think, need a teenager to teach us sometimes. And that may sound, you're like, what? Brandon, you don't know my teenager. My teenager doesn't need to be teaching me anything, right? I have one teenager, soon to be two teenagers, and I got to tell you, I'm learning from those two all the time. God is using those two in my life a ton to teach me about his character, about what he's up to, about what he wants me to do to take the lid off. And so let's hang out with some teenagers this morning. Uh, I think we can all learn from a teenager once or twice. Um, these are three teenage boys, and we're going to spend time with them because they, they would have been right in the 14, 15 years of age at this point in the story. Their names, some of you are familiar, you know these names, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And at the time that they were living, there was a mad king that was in their life, a ruler, if you will. This guy, his name was King Nebuchadnezzar, and he was king around 600 BC at the time of our story. He was leading the Babylonian Empire, and they had conquered the world. So they were the cream of the crop. They were basically the top of the food chain at this point. If you've ever been in there, whether through business, through a leadership role or whatever, it's sometimes rarefied air when you feel a little bit like the top dog. King Nebuchadnezzar felt like a dictator, and in feeling like a dictator, he had basically conquered the entire earth, and one of the things that was one of his habits was actually taking captives from other countries to be part of his squad, to be part of his team. So the countries that he overturned, he'd go into these countries that he had conquered, and Nebuchadnezzar would bring the best and the brightest back with him. This made for, again, a very good team. So if it were modern-day times and he was finding his way to America, he'd go find that 18-year-old, that 19-year-old, that teenager that was going to Harvard, that was going to Yale, the one that was going to be going uh, to MIT. And no questions asked because he was a dictator, because he was a ruler. He would go into their, their country. He would pull them out, say, you're coming with me. You're mine now. And so these Hebrew teens that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's not even their God-given names. It's not even their names. Nebuchadnezzar changed their names. And then he would give them their names so they could pay homage to the Babylonian deities of the time. And so at one point in our story, Nebuchadnezzar decides to make a giant statue. Chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. And then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Imagine the teenagers. Imagine what they would have been thinking in that. They're in chains now, right? They're slaves. They're, they're in service to the king of Babylon. They've been handpicked by him to be in the inner circle, though. So you would imagine this is a little bit of a dilemma for them. 
And the dilemma that they have is, the dilemma they face is that at some level, they want to do right by the king. They want to please the king to the betterment of Babylon, to the betterment of their circumstances and situation, to the betterment of being able to be a light in the darkness and show the God that they serve, right? That's, that's got to be the tension they're living in. They want to do their best job they can for the king. But now the king has this real giant statue made of gold, and he's ordered everyone to bow down and worship it. Do you know what the statue was a symbol of? The statue was a symbol of King Nebuchadnezzar resisting the grace of God. God was looking to do some really good things for Nebuchadnezzar. He was trying to love him well. He was trying to reveal himself to the heart of Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar was fighting against it. In the New Testament, Acts actually describes him as kicking against the goats. And what that really means is that God in many ways was goading. He was urging Nebuchadnezzar, I want to reach you. And I want to reach you with this love. I'm going to use some unusual circumstances to do that. Read chapters 1, read chapters 2, read all of Daniel. I want to, I want to reach you and I want, to, I, want to, I want to do something on behalf of your life, Nebuchadnezzar. But he's like, no. The statue is going to be me fighting against that. And I'm going to try to scare you away, God, in some form, as if he could. As if he could. And some of us, we're trying to take this time, this moment in time, as we're looking to take the lid off, this whole teaching series that's challenged us, and we are looking to put it in our rearview mirror. We want it to go to our rearview mirror because it's the hard thing to dig into. It's, the, it's attempting to challenge us to those greater things and those greater possibilities, and many of us are like, okay, can we move on to the next series? Because I don't know if I want to keep hearing this. I don't know if they're going to be a lid that I know God's identified it in my heart, but I, I just, could he do that? Could he do the crazy thing in my life? Could he really give me more? And so we're building our statues. We're building our statues of excuses. We're already trying to build our statues of compromise. And for many of us, we have a choice. This is our moment where we have the choice because we always get a choice. Do we want to worship the statue? How's that going for our lives? The statues that we've continued to worship and the excuses that we've continued to chase, the compromises we've continued to make. Do we want to worship the statue? And according to Nebuchadnezzar, everyone was going to worship the statue. Everyone was going to worship the statue, and those that did not obey would be thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 7. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, they bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It's a bad day for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is turning into a real bad day because the young teens are about to face the ultimate test. They had removed the lids, but were they going to allow the people of Babylon to see the one true God that there was to worship, or were they going to worship the statue? Were they going to imitate and submit? They now were being asked to worship something else, and so they could be imitators of God and who he made them to be, or they could be imitators of the world. 
And as young teenage men, I would imagine, wouldn't they, wouldn't they feel discouraged in this moment? Their lids that they had taken off and nothing seems to be happening to those. Where is God here? They're removing everything. They're, 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 they're now in a different empire and they're still looking to shine their light, but they'll face certain death if they don't bow. But you know what? The teens, they can't bow. They won't do it. And it's not just <laughs> some kind of tangible thing that we can maybe get our hearts and our heads around. But see, this isn't how they were raised. They were imprinted with the heart of the word on their heart. The Bible's command that said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol in the form of anything of heaven above, earth beneath to the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Their choice was to honor God and was not to honor man. And when push came to shove, when they had to do this, and what they're modeling for us to do, I believe, right now, in this moment, as we look to take the lid off, is to say respectfully, we will bow down to no one but our one true God. And the king said, well, if you don't bow, you're dead. And they said, but our faith in God, that's worth dying for. Bring it on, because we are willing. I want to look at three things this morning. I want to look at three things to answer the question, how did they do that? How did they do that? They were removing the lid. Something seems to be happening here. What kind of faith? What, what, what this kind of even if faith they had? What is God doing in their lives? How did they do it? And so the first quality that I want to look at in answering that question is this. And if you're taking notes, write this down. They chose to obey and oppose. They chose to obey and oppose. So what if we choose to do that? Because everybody's bowing here, but the three boys, they're standing. Verse 8 through 12. But some of the astrologers went to the king, and they informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. When they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into the blazing furnace. There are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, but they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. And so Nebuchadnezzar flies into a rage and he orders that the three boys are brought before him. He asks if what he's heard is true and he's offering one more chance to bow down or they get tossed in the furnace. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Ooh. Obey and oppose. Now, I'm not talking about obeying and opposing to where we just get down in a bunker and we make this bunker about us against the world and we're not going to love the world even, right? Because we're going to be of great Christian values. Well, hold on. I don't think that's anything with our Christian values. But it's interesting to me how defiantly assured they are. Some might even call it cocky. These are 14-year-olds, so they are teenagers, let's be fair. They're going to have a little attitude with them, right? And we can assume that they're scared, but they're not. 
At least they didn't show it in their words. These cocky teens are staring down a king. They're staring down imminent death, and they're saying, you know what, king? We don't even need to give you an answer because this isn't between us and you. This is about God. This is between us and God. And so a question that I have for you, a question that I ask myself is, does our faith obey God, and does it oppose everything else? Does it oppose everything else beyond what God's instructing this? Because they didn't have to pray about it. They didn't have to fast. They didn't have to think about it. They had one thing that they had resolved in their hearts, and that was obedience to God, period. End of sentence. We will be obedient to God no matter what. And as you find yourself removing those lids and not quite seeing the progress that you've been hoping for, I think it'd be easy for any of us to rationalize away or to compromise. Well, did I really hear from God? Was that the, was that the thing that I was supposed to remove? Because it would have been easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because all the people were bowing. And so they could have easily compromised in that one moment. It would have been very easy for them to say, okay, this is a ridiculous statue, but let's go ahead and just bow to this thing so we get out of that fire thing, all right? Well, we know what's in our hearts. Um, you know, we'll go ahead and worship the idol. Oh, tomorrow I might wake up with a little guilt, a little, little shame around that, but you know, I, let's just let's just do this anyway because god's going to forgive me and how many times have we done that how many times do we do that where we'll make that compromise we'll make that oh i know this is the lid i know this is the lid he's looking to remove but i'm going to go ahead and explain that away and then as it gets in the rear view i'll be able to make the excuse god i'm so sorry god would you please forgive me and how many times do we do, do that we make it practical we make it this rational thought and they could have done the same thing. If I don't bow, I am dead. And if I'm dead, if I'm dead, I couldn't tell all these people about who God is. So you know what? I'm just, I'm going to bow. But they chose to obey. They chose to oppose. That was the predetermined outcome in their minds. We will honor and we will obey. God will not follow what everyone else is doing. And I am making you a promise this morning. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a follower of Christ and you're truly trying to remove that lid, to grow in the more and do the next thing, Satan, your spiritual enemy, is going to give you ample opportunity to step away from what God's called you to do. He is going to give you ample opportunity to compromise what you know in the depths of you to be true. We need to choose to obey and oppose. The second thing, write this down if you're taking notes, is this trust that God is able. Trust that God is able. Because their faith obeyed, it opposed. But our faith obeys and it opposes in what at times we will not see. And so we must trust that God is able. Daniel 3.17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And the young boys speak to the king, if we're thrown into this 
the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power. No matter what I see, I believe that the God I serve is able, is able. And church, I think there's a big difference between God being able to do something within our lives and trusting that God wants to do and will do something in our lives. There's a big difference between those two. No matter what the circumstances are in our lives, we need to know that God is doing something, that God wants to do something. And an example, simple, simple for many of us in this room, because this is our real world and what we're living, you've been rocked by a diagnosis that you didn't expect. You've literally walked out of the doctor's office and you're like, whoa, I can't believe this is happening right now. This caught me for a complete curveball. And yes, A, we trust in God, but B, our faith in that moment is giving us an opportunity to grow in the midst of that situation, everything that we can't see or the future that we can't predict and trust that God is not only able to, to heal, but that God wants to heal you, that God wants to do something within you and your journey to even do something if he doesn't heal you. That God is able and trusting that God is able. And maybe for you, you're looking at that dangerously low checking account. And you need to be trusting that God is able to give you financial freedom. To experience that in a real way. To trust that God is able to be a provider. That the scriptures are true. That one of God's names is Jehovah Jireh. It means he's my provider. Or that relationship that's gone sour. He's able to restore. He's able to teach me something in the midst of this to grow me and to help me find him and grow in relationship deeper. I believe my God is able to restore. Church, I believe that we all have doubts. I believe that we all um, struggle with those and, and that we're lured towards those doubts. Um, but I also trust that those doubts, again, give us the opportunity to create something new in our faith. I'm not saying it's not okay to have doubts. It's okay to doubt, to not understand what God is up to and to have questions about his word or what he's saying, why he does the thing he does. But when our doubts continue to grow around that goodness of God, I believe our trust in God being able starts waning. And the enemy is again at attack, isn't he? That goes to show yet another place where the enemy is trying to get at us and say, no. That taking the lid off thing, did God really ever say that in his word? Did he make that promise? And we find ourselves like Adam and Eve in the garden. The simple question, the simple question leads us to a place of like doubting a good, good God. What if God was able in your life? What if that was a real practical thing that you had that instilled and that was a practice you started just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the very beginning that you, that, that is something you're never going to be able to take away from me, enemy, that God is able and that I'm expecting that that job's going to happen. I don't know what job it's going to be, but I'm expecting God's going to, you know what? And even if he doesn't, I expect the, the thing to provide for me. I expect uh, this thing to happen in this relationship. I am expecting that God is able. I want us to write down this last thought. Allow the fires to forge you. Allow the fires to forge you because faithfully obeying God, I hope this is, comes as, 
as something that you can hold on to and grip onto like I have, and this, this gets you through. Faithfully obeying God, that's the only responsibility we have. That's the only responsibility because the outcome is God's responsibility. And so that becomes key for this living out what God's called us to do and to take off the lids that he's asked us to do. And even when we don't see the results coming, when we allow those fires to forge us, when we allow to be in the midst and sort of say, God, you're doing something here still, we're able to see that God has something greater for us. These young men, they're they're in the line of the fire. They're staring down a king with the declaration that my God is able, my God can, he gets to decide if he will. And then I love this. Verse 18 in Daniel chapter 3 says this, but even if he doesn't, whoa, he's able. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. I believe my God is able, but even if, even if he doesn't show, we're going to make it really clear to you, King. We're not bowing. We trust him with the full outcome. And some of us are thinking, well, it's easy It's easy as we look at this story that, of course, the outcome, we know the outcome of this story, those of us that grew up in the church. We know the outcome, and we know that, of course, they could trust in God. But we can only project that on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because we know the outcome of the story. They were facing imminent death. We knew that they're about to be rescued, but what they know is that, hmm, maybe, maybe not. We're several thousand years removed from this event. The young boys are facing this real hot oven and are going to get real crispy real quick. And they know that God and the outcome is all about him. They don't know what he's going to do, but their faith is unwavering because they know that ultimately the God they serve will care for them. And so in their response and their insolence and their rebellion, what does the king do? You talk about getting hot. The king got hot. And so the, the king lights this uh, furnace up seven times hotter than normal. He orders that the strong soldiers bind their hands, and then he has them thrown into the furnace. They're going to be killed. And the furnace is so hot. The furnace is so hot that the Bible actually describes the soldiers that were throwing the boys into the furnace. They die instantly. They're not even in the furnace, just the outside of it. This is how hot it was. And so seemingly the boys get thrown to their death. Verse 23, 24, so Shadrach... Meshach and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Well, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Listen to me. God is going to show his power in all kinds of different ways. When you are in the midst of removing that lid and you are not seeing the outcome, do you believe, do you trust that your God is able even if? Do you trust that he's able even if? Because we all know that his presence, that tangible reality of the presence of God, that he's also in the fire with us. The fourth was a God. 
And he is in that fire with us. And some of us need to hear this today. That we know that his presence and that tangible reality of, of Christ's presence is sometimes what we, we, we go off of feelings that sometimes are fleeting and that can be wavering. But these boys, they threw three boys in. And what's so interesting to me here is that they threw them in, but they're unbound. The scripture says that they were unharmed, that they were unburned, that their robes weren't burned at all as they made their way out of the furnace. And I believe, as, as we look at the text, that actually what did, I need for some of us to hear this, the Bible says that they were unbound, that they were thrown in the fire, but remember that they were bound that they were bound heading in. So as we look and see these men liberated, it was the fire that burned that which bound them. And so when we talk about a refining process, Pastor Brian talked about this last week, and a refining process that we go through and out comes this beautiful gold or this beautiful diamond when it's you know, forged through the fire and, and we see a stone turn into something magnificent. The fire that burns that which binds you is going to do a work in you that makes something glorious in you. And that's so relevant because some of us feel like the lid. Whew, I've been, I've been lifting it. And so you're in the fire right now. You're in the fire and you're taking big shots. They're being blasted your way. Some of us are even just experiencing maybe the small shots, just the small little questions that are coming in. But either way, we're asking that, God, would you deliver us from this place? And God, your timing and your will be done, your kingdom come. But we're going to beg God to end, yes, that season of challenge with the realization that that season is important for our forging, that we can be a people that are okay with being forged in the fire. Because the very thing the very thing that we may want God to remove from our lives might be the very thing that he needs to exist in your life right now for that forging, for that fire to be taking place, for the thing that actually will ultimately set you free, ultimately set you free, even when you can't see it, even if I don't feel it. God will cause everything to work together for his good. And so in conclusion, I love this, verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's interesting to me because when God shows up in the hurt, I feel like we have this opportunity that we don't even realize is our opportunity sometimes, but that there are people watching, that there are other individuals that are impacted by seeing us go through the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar was one of those. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I wonder if in your life, right now, as you don't see that lid that you've removed, and you don't see the fruit or the outcome that you're expecting, I wonder if someone's looking on in your life right now and saying, wow, praise to the God of Veronica, who's going through that trial at work. Praise to the God of Brad and what he's experiencing through that relationship hardship. Praise to the God of the Alvarez family that seems to be doing something otherworldly, 
by putting their faith and trust in what they cannot see, and yet they have hope, and they have purpose, and they have joy. Praise to that God. And maybe it's our trials of life, being there with the lid that we've removed, and nothing seems to be happening, that we are honoring God in a way that we cannot even see. And he is pointing people back to himself through that very thing. See, when you fight in the war and you're fighting those right fights, people are looking on and they will see you. They will see you. They will see your circumstance, but they will honor God. They will honor God. And they will see God moving in amazing ways. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angels to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command, and they were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. They were willing to die. I, um, uh, we're, we had our third week, excuse me, of sprint groups, and what was interesting as we were being challenged by one of the discussion questions, our discussion questions for the sprint groups have been revolving around the sermon series, and one of the questions was just sort of, what is the lid you're unwilling to remove? What is the thing that you might want to still be God over and not give to God? And it was just interesting to me because I think collectively our group had a sense of our kids are a big one. I don't know what other groups discuss. I don't know what your answer would be to that question. But for us, it was like, wow, my, my son and my daughter releasing that fully, 100% to God, would probably be the thing that, I, that would be really difficult for me, 100%. And then, again, we're all being challenged by it. We're all praying through that a little bit. Okay, what does that mean? You know, maybe that's the lid. Is that the lid, God? But what was interesting to me as well is that a lot of us were answering. A lot of us were answering that we would be parents that would be willing to die on their behalf instead. That the interesting answer for us was just that, no, I'd be willing to die. I'd be willing to die for my kid and willing to die in place of them. And what's funny to me about this, not, not funny, haha, but just interesting, funny and maybe ironic, is that when I look at the Lord and what he's willing to do, I, I look at this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were so willing to die for God. And isn't that also just the reverse message constantly for us? that our Father in heaven is willing to die for you. And he's willing to die for me. And he's willing to be in the fire and the consistent presence in the fire. He's the one that is willing to take everything and just die for the sake of his kids. And we should not minimize that in this story because we, it's easy to look at the story of the young men. And put ourselves in their shoes. What am I willing to do? What am I willing to go forth with? What if, even if God, the God that is able, even if I will, yeah, for you as well. For you as well, God is saying that you are important enough and you are designed for his purposes that he will send his son to die for you. I'm going to invite the band up. And if you have not made that decision to follow Jesus, if you have not made that decision, today's the day. Today is the day, if you feel like you've been teetering in that relationship with Jesus Christ, 
to make him your personal savior and to start a relationship with him. I'm going to ask that you would just pray this. And there's nothing magical to this. Just it's something that it's a heart condition. And so silently in your heart, would you just confess this to God right now? God, I think the lid of my life is maybe just never starting a relationship with you. I think I've been going my own way. I, I've been trying to be God in a lot of things. And all those things don't seem to add up. I'm missing something. I'm missing you, Jesus. And so, Jesus, would you help me to remove this lid? I want to invite you into my life, into my heart, into a relationship. God, I don't even fully know what that may mean, I, I, but I desire you in my life because you are the one that's constantly in the fire with me. God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I invite you in just to do a work that only you can do. Come in. I want relationship with you, God. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, if you just did a confession, a confession of your heart, whatever words you chose, whatever words you chose to talk with a very relational God, I want you to know that he will keep his promise to you. And that that relationship is going to be the, the, the pinpoint, the, the tipping point, if you will for something that you're going to go on this crazy, amazing, <laughs> crazy, amazing journey. And we as church family want to come alongside you as well because we're taking the journey. We're in process. None of us have arrived on that journey. And so again, come find us. We'd love to get a Bible in your hands. We'd love to get you some next steps if you prayed that prayer. For the rest of us this morning, for the rest of us that find ourselves in the place where, gosh, the lid's just that we've removed. I don't know if I see the fruit. I don't know if I can see God. I feel like I'm in the furnace. I believe and trust that he's with me. But I'm still sometimes so discouraged in that. I want you to focus here on John chapter 16, verse 33. And this is Jesus and he says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Our God is able, even if he's not doing quite the thing we expect, even if he's not answering the question quite in the way we want them, our God is able, and our God has overcome the world. And that God is with you in the midst of us now. Moving forward, we take the lids off to see what he wants to do for our more. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for this morning. God, we want you to remove all the lids on our life. We want the courage and the strength and the fortitude to follow you, to obey and oppose. Lord, to trust that you are able and Lord, to have the confidence of, of these teenage boys that you are forging us in the fire, Lord. And so today we offer up that thanks. We offer up that gratitude. We offer up everything that is praiseworthy unto the most high king, the one that sits on the true mountaintop. 
and we declare that we will follow you even if, <laughs> fill in the blank, even if you don't, even if you do, our God is able. And so thank you that you reside in the furnace with us. Thank you that you went before us. Thank you that you would sacrifice it all for us. And so, Lord, we lift up our voices and we lift up our hearts to you. And we give all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.